By the way, you know, um, I started the afterword in January of this year, which means we've done this is our fifty second episode. Oh wow, one year. Yeah. What you told me to do it, and uh, <laughs> there it was. Uh, I think a good, you know, probably ten, one out of ten was good. I think <laughs> so. Five, <laughs> <laughs> maybe five to seven. Five to seven were good. Helpful episode. Sure. <laughs> uh, um, no, we've grown our listener base though. We're now at um, tens of millions of people. <laughs> Forty-eight. Barna says 48% of the world population listens to the... <laughs> it's crazy. It's unexpected. <laughs> What's weird is uh, it's if you look at like the, the listening map, it's the entirety of China. <laughs> it's very strange. All of Oceania loves us. We're huge in Papua New Guinea. It's just almost, a, almost 100% permeation rate. If you type in Ali... If you type in podcast on Alibaba in China, oh, it's 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 the insane. is at the top of the list. What's weird is Denmark hates us. <laughs> Zero listeners. Norway loves us. Sweden is split. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah, it's the Norwegian states. Yeah, uh, I have a confession. You ready? Yes. I I have. Do you? I don't know if you have this. I have a guilty pleasure yeah. when it comes to Christmas music. Okay. There is a song that yeah. I play that no matter what happens when it comes on, it makes me happy, joyful in my heart. Is it Mariah Carey? It, well, yes. In general, that's true. I love, you know, I love Mariah with an everlasting yeah, every, love. Everyone does. Well, me especially. Everyone. Does. I had a poster no, of her. No, I mean, everyone knows that you love her. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a poster of her in my bedroom in yes. high school. I mean, I really. I know this story. Uh, anyway, so the point, that's not. I'm a huge fan of the 90s, and my one of my favorite songs is from the 90s. It's uh, from NSYNC's Christmas album. Wow. It's a little embarrassing. Here we go. I'm just saying, it's a guilty pleasure. It just is. Listen to that piano. There's Justin. Come on, Jay. Merry Christmas. I mean, this this is a winner. This song is a winner. I mean, how can you be? How could you not have joy? How could you not dance around the house? It's true. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's a fantastic song. Now, the reason I bring that up, Jay, is because we're about to enter into the most unfun portion of the Christmas story <laughs> entirely. And yeah. uh, lift the spirits before we bring right. them down. And so I think maybe just in general throughout the podcast, I'm just going to pause and play that because we're going to need to pick me up <laughs> because this section of scripture. Pretty intense. It's it's awful. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um. Uh, so just before we get into it, um, just a parental warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about a portion of the Christmas story, which is not Hallmark. It's very no. difficult. It, it involves in some intense things. So if you've got little kids around, it might not be a good thing for them to listen to. That's yeah. just kind of a parental warning. Yeah. Matthew 2, starting, we started last week in 1 to 13, but 13 onward, yeah. um, Herod goes crazy. Yes. And genocidal. Yeah. And starts killing children. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's just dive in. What were your initial reactions just entering into the, the, the depth of this text? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is the first two chapters of Matthew, they're Christmas stories, but when we think of Christmas, we think of baby Jesus, 
like nativity scene. Yeah. You know, I mean, newborn infant Jesus. Uh, but at the same time, we sort of categorize, again, all of the stories in Matthew chapters one and two as a part of the Christmas story. But in reality, you see it in the story. You know, Herod gets really upset, really angry. Steve talked about this in the teaching last Sunday that when the Magi come to visit the newborn king, that he is, this is probably very, it is very likely outside of the initial infant Jesus manger scene. Oh yeah, for sure. Jesus is, uh, it's later on. Yeah. He's potentially two, you know, so he's, he's been around, but it's all Christmas stuff. You know, we categorize it as Christmas stuff. And one of the first things I thought about it just outside of the horror of this story that we'll get into it's fascinating because our nativity scenes are a moment in time, but really the, the concept of God coming to be with us, Emmanuel, it's a, uh, it's a longer story. I mean, you think about Jesus and there's the beauty of the nativity scene, but the reality is he, he spent, he lived an entire childhood before we see him arrive on the scene baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. Sure. Tempted in the wilderness. We get one we disciples. get one little moment when he's like a preteen in the temple and that's yes. it. Yeah. And then and then there's this verse he grew in wisdom and stature in favor of God in favor of men and then we're launched into his adulthood. That's it. Yeah, so we have nearly 3 decades of his life that we really have no we don't have a no, lot on. No record of. Yeah. And uh to me one of the things I thought was, you know, that's actually a really beautiful, profound concept or, or reality for us to embrace during Christmas. Because Christmas, like literally the holiday Christmas sort of in American culture, it's it's a day, you know, it's December 25th, but it's also sort of right after Thanksgiving, we have this, you know, five to six week run leading up to Christmas Day where everything is the holidays. But then we're going to hit New Year and all the lights come down. Right. And, you know, Target doesn't have the Christmas music playing anymore. Right. Or Starbucks isn't selling their peppermint mocha, whatever. Any, you know, and we're like, okay, we've moved on. Now we'll get back to that 11 months from now. And, you know, in, in actuality, the power of Christmas is the sort of slow, steady hum of God with us. Um that is Jesus's young life before he arrives yeah. on the scene and begins marching toward Easter Sunday, you know, his death and resurrection. And you think about that. I mean, even Matthew chapters one and two, it's like a couple of years are encapsulated in this, yeah. in this story. So you're I, saying kind of the ho-hum ordinary presence of God. It's yeah. A, it's an ordinary day with an extraordinary God. Yeah, but even that is infused with the power of Christmas. Right, right. It's not the lights and the and the hot chocolate and the eggnog and the presents and the trees, but it's all Christmas stuff. It's all God is with us, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. uh, the story we're in today that we explored this past Sunday, it's two years into his life. I mean, Jesus is a, is a toddler now, you know? He's starting to speak he's starting to form words and he's walking and he's pooping in his diaper and you know doing all those toddler things he's not infant jesus but it's still it's like buzzing with emmanuel god with us power and god's plan to redeem humanity through this 
through this child. You know? One of the things that's true about that is the ordinariness of it, right? It's born. He's born in Bethlehem, a, a, a city of, they think, one to 2,000 people. Yeah, no-name town. No-name town. Yeah. And uh, kind of named after David, yeah. you know. Uh, but then there's also another side of it. It's not just ordinary. There's also a layer on top of this, as I kind of think about it, of terror, of yeah. of real tragedy. Yes. Um, I was just kind of going through trying to imagine what it would have been like to have been Mary and Joseph. Mm. Like, they're teenagers. And there's a bounty on their baby's head. Yeah. And then they flee in the middle of the night, like through the desert, like an angel tells them, go now. And then I was thinking about what it would have been like for them to receive the news because there's no Instagram or Twitter. Right. Someone later said, would have said to them, did you hear about what happened in Bethlehem? Yeah. And they would have had to absorb the horror of Herod's executive governmental order to kill these children, these babies, these young people. And, you know, archaeologists are like, it's somewhere between 25 and 50 children. And, um, I just started uh, trying to absorb what that would have been like. You remember, remember a couple of years ago, there was the Newtown massacre with all the kindergartners. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the worst things, pieces of news I've ever had to, you know, yes. read. Yeah. This is like similar trauma, right? Right. Except it's government sponsored by Herod. You know, yeah. it's nuts. Driven by a, a, an absolute desperate hunger to maintain oppressive power. Yeah. It's just evil all the way around. Totally. And that's what makes it so shocking that dropped right into the middle of our beautiful, you know, Christmas nativity scenes is a story of genocide. Yeah. Just horrific, this evil man asking for such an evil thing to be done. Yeah. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. It's like, what? No. (laughs) It's like, these are sanitized, precious moments, versions. And, you know, part of that is true. There is peace on earth. The angels sing of it. And there right. is there is a sense in which there's a settledness. Yeah. But there's also, let's not like sugarcoat this. Like this is, and Matthew is interesting because there's two times Jesus is kind of near Jerusalem. And every time he goes there, like he's got a bounty on his head when he's born and a bounty on his head when he goes back at the end of his life. Yeah. And that's right. Both times the government's trying to kill him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Peace does not come peacefully. Uh, yeah. You know? And we, we like to believe that it does. Yeah. That it we can relinquish any sense of responsibility and that um, peace will just sort of naturally bubble up to the surface, but that's not true. So that's another spiritual thing here, which is that I believe to my core that peace is the absence of conflict. If everyone would just get along and and I could be left alone, then I could have peace. Right. It, it's me sitting on the couch. There's twinkling led lights in my living room. <laughs> Soft Michael Bublé is playing. I've got a Christmas drink, yeah. perhaps a mocha, perhaps some sort of Christmas scotch, and everything <laughs> is peace on earth, right? Yeah. But what you're saying is that peace actually comes through tremendous spiritual cosmic war. Yeah, and it, struggle. And struggle tension. against yeah. evil. Right. Um, what's what's that? Who I forget who said it. It was like, um, I think it was Willard. Um non-cooperation with the forces of evil what is it resolute non-cooperation with the forces of evil Mm. he says that's what that's what a goodness is yeah and that's man we don't want to hear that right because at the end of the day here's the other thing that this story matthew kind of shows us i mean if you think about mary and joseph's story as he's presenting it it's really frightening and 
every time in, in this in this passage in Matthew 2, he's like, here's something bad that happens, and then he anchors it with an Old Testament prophecy. So, like, Herod goes crazy and kills, you know, um, prophecy. Herod kills all these people, and there's weeping, prophecy. Yeah. And then the baby's born, prophecy. I think Matthew's trying to say, God's at work. Yes. God has, even in the midst of all this awful, God is the author of history and he's at work, even if it seems like he hasn't. Because it, in my core, I really do believe if I believe in God and God's with me, my life will be easy and better. Right. I just do, Jay. I just do. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. It's it's like this weird, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know who taught it to me. I just believe it, that that life with God is make going to make things automatically easier. Yeah. And I think Matthew is really trying to get me to see something very different. Right. <laughs> My life will be better with God, but it will not be easier. No. Yeah. So like, wh- where do you think that comes from? I mean, I, I can't be the only person that believes that, right? No. I mean, I think most people believe some form of that, uh, especially with kind of our misunderstanding of peace. Uh, I don't even necessarily know that it's a misunderstanding of peace. I, th- I think that uh, it, it is a, it's a denial of, um, reality as it is, you know, when we believe that peace is simply the absence of conflict in some ways that's true, but you know, we've talked about this at at church before in various teachings, the biblical concept of peace coming from the Hebrew word shalom is actually, um, it's not the absence of conflict. It's about things being made right. In fact, in fact, the Hebrew word shalom actually comes from a root word that actually has to do with like transactional equity. So, you know, when, when, uh, Orthodox Jews greet one another with, with the greeting of Shalom, uh, in many ways, what they're saying is like, are things right and equitable between us? And what that then means is that, you know, if we embrace the reality, the sad reality that we live in an inequitable world where there's grave injustice and pain and evil and greed and all those things, right? Not just out there, but right here in us, in us too, yeah, and within us. Um, then peace inevitably becomes an action-oriented reality. Hmm. Like it becomes struggle, it becomes hard work, it becomes labor. It reminds me of the Hebrew words we studied in Abraham, Sitakon Mishpat. Uh, yeah, the idea of justice and righteousness. Loving what's right, doing what's right, and then setting things right when things are wrong. Yeah. You know? and I mean, this this is kind of like a really like oversimplistic sure. example. But, you know, I have young kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And you know this. Um, my wife, Jenny, last week was out of town. I, I asked her to, you know, go get some time away. She's just been like going hard <laughs> as mom, you know, yeah. full mom mode for a while now. So, uh, she got to go away for a few days and I like took it upon myself. I'm just going to do the single dad thing for like four days and watch these two little kids. And it, I never understood because Jenny does so much at home. I never understood how chaotic the house becomes when I just let these two little kids have (laughs) their run of the place. Right. And did anyone draw on any walls? Oh dude. I mean, all day every day it was just (laughs) madness right and mostly my three-year-old my daughter's 
great. She's six. She's pretty tough. So Simon is like, yeah, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, mom's gone. <laughs> he strips I'm... down to his diaper. Yeah. Yes, this is my house. You know. <laughs> and uh, what was interesting is a couple of the nights, uh, I would I finally got the kids ready for bed. You know, dinner, play, read. Uh, Bible time, pray, brush teeth, floss, all that kind of stuff. They're finally in flossing. Bed. Wow, fr- yeah, that's I just, impressive. I went for it, and they finally sleep right. Yeah. And our Christmas tree is on in the living room, and the house is quiet. And in some ways, I'm like, ah, we're at peace. I'm at peace, right? But I go and sit down on the couch. I'm about to turn on the TV and just veg out for an hour, you know, and just cut, kind of get my bearings. But I look at the living room, and it's a mess, and it is chaos yes right it's chaos now i could have sat there and i actually tried to sit there and just you know what it's all right like let's just you know it'll be let's ignore this let's ignore it'll be fine it's fine but what happens is you can't really rest yeah you have to put things right you gotta put things right dude that's a great metaphor jay you know and we want peace to just be it's quiet and I can sit. But when you really take a survey of the landscape and you realize things are not right, mm-hmm. you're not really at peace. What you're yeah. in is denial, Ooh. you know, and that's what Christ comes to do. Yeah. Christ, Christ, it's funny because a lot of people, a lot of secular secularism would say like Christians are idiots because they're just these, in the words of REM, they're just these happy, shiny people smiling and walking around like everything's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, some, and I'm using air quotes, like some Christians live that way, but biblically, the way of Jesus is not that. Yeah. I would say biblically, the way of Jesus is a deeper, more um, uh, convicted confrontation of all that's wrong in the world yeah. than any sort of secularism can offer us, you yeah. know? And that's peace. It takes effort. It takes work. and but one of the things, there's another edge to that that you just said, and that is if we over-sentimentalize and pretend, like a little shiny, happy people you know, yeah. if that's one tendency, the other tendency I've seen is to over-spiritualize. Mm. Like, Jesus has come to defeat your private sins, you know, in the interior darkness. Yeah. But this is a story about, like, actual soldiers killing actual babies. Yes. I mean, yes, it's true Jesus sets us free from capital sin, capital S sin and capital D death. Yeah. But those capital S sin and capital D death, those powers and principalities, as Paul calls them, like they have real implications in the real world with the way real people are really treated. Yeah. About, um, I mean, a, a, the family turns into refugees that needs a means to survive in a foreign land. Mm-hmm. Children are killed. Herod holds on to political power. It's political intrigue. Rome is trying to tax some people so they can raise a bigger army to expand their political and military kingdom. And they kill people on crosses to let everyone know what happens when you mess with the Roman empire. Do you know what I mean? These are like um, the story of Exodus, which this story is linking to was real slavery, (laughs) you know, literal, literal slavery, but it's also spiritual slavery. It's both because they didn't dichotomize the spiritual and the physical. Right. Um, So that's uncomfortable to think about. Because that makes demands on us in the real world in the real day, like as we look around. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think this is a very uniquely modern Western problem. Mm. Not to say that it hasn't been a problem in other times in other cultures, but it is is definitely um, 
unique to our culture because, uh, you know, the modern Western world dichotomizes to your point. We dichotomize between the individual and the communal. Yeah. So we think the way the world works is there is me and my needs and my desires and my longings and no one has a right to infringe on those, those things that are mine. And then there is the world or there is my community or my neighborhood or my workplace or my church or my whatever. We dichotomize between the two. And our posture in the modern Western world is to see the communal through the lens of the individual. So what happens is we see everything around us that is not about us as a means to a particular individual end. So we choose a place of work or a church or a neighborhood or whatever, you know, based on what are my individual longings and desires and passions and whatever. And then how does this sort of community, whatever that community may be, serve to help me toward that particular individual end. And that, that sort of posture is a very modern Western way of thinking about the world. And I'm not even necessarily saying in and of itself, that's all bad. I mean, there's some good stuff about that, but I, I would suggest the ancient near Eastern world of the scriptures had a dramatically different worldview and that biblically Christian community. One of the things it does is it confronts and it challenges that very individualistic, perspective on life so what that then means is we think of sin in the modern west as individual so when we think about jesus coming to save us from our sins we think about it individually first and foremost jesus came to save me jay from my individual sins so that when i die i can get a golden ticket to heaven and not burn in hell forever or whatever all of that is true but it is one layer of a much bigger thing that is happening. Jesus saves me from my individual sins, but he does so by saving me not as an individual into heaven when I die, but he does so by saving me into his family and his family belong with him forever and all of eternity. And the work of that family, you go all the way back to Abraham, Genesis 12, you know, we did this whole series, is God tells Abraham, I'm going to be, I'm going to bless you and your children are going to become a great nation so that what? So that through them, all peoples on the earth might be blessed. Right. It's, It's just communal through and through. And so, you know, this whole concept of like, I'm going to be saved from my individual sin is absolutely true. I don't want people to think like we're saying like, no, that's a misnomer. It's not. We are saved individually, but we're saved individually into a family, into a community. And that community has been called since the beginning to partner with God to bring about um, the kingdom of heaven on earth, you know? His kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the whole story. Right. Well, it's, it's also, it's not just individualistic, um, in sorry, individual, not individualistic, individual. What's interesting is like we have a couple of narratives. We have Matthew's story, 
you know, gospel story. Yeah. And we were going to go here for the teaching, but we did, just didn't have time. We, we shuttled it. Luke's story is, is kind of very personal. You've got Elizabeth and Mary bumping tummies. You know, it's this really yeah. cute story. Right. But then John's telling of the birth of Jesus in two different places or his introduction to Jesus is very, very high level. I mean, in the beginning was the word. Yeah. I mean, he starts cosmically. Yes. And then later on in Revelation 12, he tells the story of the birth of Jesus. And we didn't have time to get into this, but that story in Revelation 12 is like crazy. It's like a great sign appeared in the heaven and there's this woman and she's stunningly beautiful and she's got 12 stars around her head and she's beautiful and she's pregnant. She's about to give birth. And then this dragon comes and yeah. tries to eat the baby. And then, the, you <laughs> yeah. know, this eagle comes and, and you know, it's insane. Like yeah. it's this. And what I think what John is trying to say is this is a cosmic war between the powers of good, the biggest powers of good and the biggest powers of evil. This is a cosmic war. This is D-Day. Yeah. In a way that frames it as a giant cosmic story. Yeah. Almost like Lord of the Rings. Like. You know what I mean? This very epic story that all of Middle Earth will be affected, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of lost when you get to the Hallmark Precious Moments. Agreed. It, that, so that's, and that's there in the scriptures. Both are true. Yeah. It's about Mary and it's about Joseph. It's about us, but it's also about, and that's what Matthew's helpful. He's tying it to the scriptural story. Yes. This is the big story of what God's doing. Yeah. Yeah. The birth of Christ is like, storming the beach at normandy yeah i mean it, it is it is god invading our broken world and declaring to the world and to the great enemy satan hey your day has come and this ends now yeah. you know and right we lose that in the serenity of the nativity scenes we think that it's like oh cute baby jesus and it is but there's something cosmic happening there for sure and, and i think the herod story about I'm going to kill these, you know, um, sons, these boys two and under. It's all like it's war language. Yeah. You know, it's death and violence and bloodshed and evil. You know, Matthew is depicting uh, Herod as a sort of human emblem of the evil that is pervasive in the world and sin and death. And that that sin and death doesn't have the final word it's not it doesn't win you yeah. know god wins which is why matthew we talked about this in the teaching matthew repeats this word over and over again he Fulfilled. talks about something yeah. totally tragic or totally sad or totally like um insignificant and small and he's like but because of that so was fulfilled fulfilled right like the story god the story, has been writing yeah, since the beginning moving. yeah well, it's also interesting that the method of destruction of the powers is God self-sacrificing. Yes. And not with tanks, um, and not with bullets, Yeah, but with self-sacrificing love. Right. That's really important to note, too, in our era of culture war. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, but also the Normandy invasion also helps because it's like if Christmas Day or the Nativity, you know, you know what I mean, the, the birth of Jesus is D-Day, it took a while for the the axis to fall. Yeah. It took a little while. They had to march. Right. And that's where we are in the story. We're yeah. marching. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope we're a little close to, to the destruction 
you know, and, yeah. and the, the capital, the enemy capital falling, you know, yeah. in that way, the metaphor actually sort of works. Yeah. There's a time when it starts and then there's the final victory, you know, yeah. and we're kind of in the middle. We're marching through and there's a lot of casualties and, yeah. and it's sad, but it will, it will end and, and yeah. good will win. God yeah. will win. Yeah. And after, after Christmas, we'll eventually get to Lent. Which yes. will get us to Easter. Right. And that's the beauty of the Christian story is, yes, there's sacrifice and bloodshed and pain mm-hmm. to to gain victory. But Christ comes and he, he does that on our behalf. Yeah. He lays himself down. Well, as we close up Adorning the Darkness, just any personal thoughts and reflections just for you? Because we're about to tie up the first part of Matthew and we're going to come back to Matthew next year. We're going to have, yeah. we're going to call it Matthew part or season one, right? Yeah. Almost yeah. like a Netflix series. We're going to call it Matthew season one. And we're going to kind of go through the March through Matthew. And it's going to take us years. Yeah. It could take us years. It's a long time. We're going slow. Yeah. Well, and we're not going to just be in Matthew the whole time. We'll, no, no, no. We're going to jump in and out of Matthew for very likely the next couple of years. It's um, exciting. Which will yeah. be really fun. Yeah. With totally. other series in between. Sure, sure, sure. Not like only Matthew the entire time, but like going through sections of Matthew and yeah. then with periodic breaks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so any any uh, reflections on this first part? Just what it's... Yeah. Because every year, you, you preach this every year. Every year there's a Christmas. Uh, it, it can right. get old. It's like, what do you say that's new? What's, what's new this year right now with you um, in your stage of life, with what's going on in your life? Right. Yeah. Well, that's the... That's the beauty of scripture is like uh, somebody was just telling me this the other day. um, Oh, Deb Hudson. Oh, yeah. You know very well. She's a a leader in our high school ministry. She's in seminary right now. And she was just commenting to me like, you know, the Bible is so amazing because you read these stories and you feel like you're so familiar with them. But if you do the work of mining them, that's what she said. Mining. You just keep finding more and more gold yeah. beneath the surface. It's insane. And so, yeah, in some ways, Christmas is like every year. It's the same stories, but they're not. You know, you just keep mining these stories, and then you see your own life and where you're at and where where just the human story is at and culture at large and what's happening in the world, and you realize the, po- you realize the power of Scripture is that it truly is God-breathed, that it's alive and it's active. Yes. And it can speak very uniquely to any and every moment we find ourselves in. And I think that's been true this December for me as we've been going through this series and looking at Matthew's life. It's just been really hopeful for me on a personal level, just yeah. as a as a follower of Jesus. There's darkness in my life and in, in my world, and it's been a real encouragement to know God does his best work in the dark. Yeah. You know? And uh and I hope it's been an encouragement to you too. Yeah, this season has been really uncommon for me because I have, I'm getting a little older. And so all of, a lot of my friends now, their parents are getting older. Mm. And I've got so many tough diagnoses. Like this week, my best friend from college found out his dad has late stage prostate cancer that's terminal. Mm. And my other buddy, um, his dad was admitted to the hospital and thought he was going to die. And they found he's got pancreatic cancer. That's right. late stage. And that's going to, that's weeks, maybe months. Wow. 
and it, it's one after another. Um, in our life group, there's just been so many difficult things going on, and there's been heavy, heavy things. But in that, I felt a real lightness because I know that this is about bringing Christ into it and praying. It's been the only thing I can really do in those scenarios, the only hope that I have. I can't stop pancreatic cancer stage four. Right. I can't stop, um, you know, the, the, a mother who fell and had a, a brain stroke and a brain injury and now is rendered unable to care for herself. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't solve those problems. Right. But God with us can carry my friends through that. Yeah. And Christ's victory over death means that it doesn't have the final word. And I think that the heavy and the pain of that actually has brought me more hope mm. or I've seen it more clearly because it's so desperate. There's literally nothing I can do. I can't fix these problems. Yeah. Um, they're, they're too big. Uh, I'm, I'm too finite. Yeah. Um, and so the story of Jesus is like really, and, and I know there's a lot of people going through similar stuff who are listening to this. I know there's right. a lot of people and they write in and they're, they're impossible hard situations yeah. and their prayer requests. We read them. And as a staff, yeah. we get them every, every week and we go through them and it is heartbreaking yeah. very, and it's, a, there's nothing we can do. Right. Like there's nothing we can, there's do. nothing we as yeah. there's nothing I can do. Dave right. Tish. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Jay Kim. Yeah. Um, but there's something that Jesus can do. And so That's right. the, the, the act of bringing that together um, has felt um, very pastoral to me. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's my, it's my role. Yeah. To bring these before God in prayer and in, in that share in the suffering and and because God is with us. And right. check in on those people, be pastoral in those, you know, pray for those people faithfully. And, and that's been the growth edge for me. So, and that's been helpful. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I love that, Dave. Well, I mean, this is kind of dark, but I think in general, we need to end on a, a better note, Jay. <laughs> in we, sync? Oh, oh a little sure. in sync. I think so. <laughs> Let me get to the chorus. Here it goes. You guys can't see this, but Dave is dancing along right now. This is my favorite line. <laughs> wow, God sent you his love. Yep. Look at NSYNC being all Christian and oh, evangelical. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Merry Christmas, Jay. Wow, Merry Happy. Christmas, Dave. Happy holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Jay. And we'll, um, well, happy new year. And uh, we'll, yeah. see you. we'll see you in the new year. Yes. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's the best time of year for the family.